salute. Peace, love, and definitely more light. I am your host, JF Bay. This is the Third Eye High Podcast. We deal with a higher consciousness of a flyer culture. And I'm just here to shine my light your way to help you find your light switch and keep your light lit. As we continue on with the book report series. So as we deal with uh, so-called Black History Month, right? I just wanted to give you some dope literature, some cool books to add to your library to help you get a broader scope on, I wouldn't say history, I would say our story, right? So I'm not a historian, I'm more like of a our story. And I deal with extensive research dealing with the true American story that deals with the true Americans. We're talking about the indigenous copper-colored melanated beings of the planet that were misclassified as Negro, Blacks, and Coloreds, right? So we go into this conversation of this white concept, right? Because a lot of this American story is rooted in uh, racism and uh, slavery and all this and misconceptions. And we went over a few books in the series that really touch on this uh, misclassification of the, the, the series or the system of racism, or rather the institution of slavery itself because we found out that the emancipation proclamation that was created by Lincoln or you know announced by Lincoln he actually freed uh white slaves as well because <laughs> it said uh the emancipation proclamation said free all such persons held in bondage it didn't specify you know millions of people we stole from Africa because you know they didn't actually steal the the people from the land they stole the land from the people so we're getting into this uh idea of this whole white thing right because we know their skin isn't white right and your skin isn't black right we 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 got over that to to understand that they both denote to status right now has nothing to do with a black skin color because your skin is more of a copper colored hue and their skin isn't white it's more of a pale uh, pinkish type of complexion but I digress I say that to say this that the black status simply means civilitia mortus means your rights were civilly dead in the eyes of the law so anyone that would classify themselves as such find themselves marching in the streets and screaming that their life matters and and they just don't know why cops seem to shoot you excessively for a traffic stop and it happens to no other race you know all this stuff is 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 significant and then white denotes to the naturalization act of 1790 where they took an oath and became u.s citizens and became white under the guise of legislation so now we use their own literature to prove this right because we're not speaking from a, a hatred standpoint trying to understand history in the way it was as it was you know not to sugarcoat it not to uh over it not to overhype it but to just really try to understand it so now this next book i'm going to add to the book report series i encourage everyone to pick this book up and add it to your library now this book is called the birth of a white nation 
birth of a white nation. The invention of white people and its relevance today by Jacqueline Bartolora. Jacqueline Bartolora, great author. And it's a great book we're gonna go into. The book is called Birth of a White Nation, The Invention of White People and Its Relevance Today. Powerful stuff. So we're gonna we're gonna uh, examine you know some of the chapters in this book. And I encourage people to pick this up. It's a great read, you know. And that that saying still rings true today. If you want to hide something from the people, you put it in a book. You know, a lot of us are, you know, uh, social media addicts and, you know, we get our daily fix of social media. We just doom scrolling and, you know, reality TV watching and we don't have time to actually sit down and read. But there's two, you know, exercises that you can do that allows your body to use every muscle in your body at the same time. And those two things are meditation and reading. Meditation and reading. Because it takes all your muscles to concentrate, to just sit still. To just be still and know that I am God, right? You, you are God, as the creator was saying. And reading, right? Because it takes all your mental faculties and it takes all of your energy to focus and to use the mind and to work the mind's muscle. So without further ado, let's get into some of this extensive commentary from the book, Birth of a White Nation. And it starts off with one of the chapters, White People, the Creation. White People, the Creation. This chapter and the next are devoted to providing an explanation for the creation of the group of humanity called white people. It sounds pretty outrageous to think about white people as an invention. In fact, such a claim may be perceived as offensive to some. This is so because the invention has been such a success. In fact, many people today understand themselves to be racially white and view race as a biological fact. Such a perspective is completely understandable when form utilized by the U.S. government, medical providers, and schools acts for a race designation. Such common social practices make both race and the group listed under it seem real. In fact, they work to make these groups real in the sense that they give groups meaning in society and work to make them different. Hmm. So they're, they're mentioning they created this illusionary construct that, and they also pimped this aboard using the Census Bureau, right? Because when they had the census uh, re uh, recordings every 10 years, the people had the right to self-identify. So if I pushed propaganda that said you were this particular group and you believed it, you identified as such. And that worked the same way when they kept calling you black and then Negro, and then colored, and then African-American. And why are you the only people in history that your name keeps changing over time? See, they're hiding something. So if they created a new identity for themselves, they would have to create a new identity for our people as well. Because if you truly identify with who you were, you would see that they became something. And it was a collective idea that's now enforced as what you call the institution of racism, supremacy, and all that today. 
So we're just peeling back these titles and getting to the inception of this idea itself. Let's continue on. In spite of this common experience of race, we should begin by realizing that white people as a designation of a group of humanity, much less as a race, never existed until late in the 17th century. Interesting. So this white concept never existed before the 17th century. Now that's key because what was taking place around that time? This slavery story, right? Where they told the so-called African-American were a slave for 400 years. But look at the timeline itself. If they said you were a slave for 400 years and they said the, the first colony started in Jamestown, Virginia in 1619. So then in the year 2019, that was your 400th year of slavery on the calendar which makes no sense because you were allegedly free in 1865 or were you already free or, or were you reclassified as a former slave on the census record see everything has to do by identity everything goes by identity and what you choose to identify yourself as this is why they pushed all this propaganda in our communities goes on to say this means that white people have been in existence for a very short period of time, while people whose skin reflects light skin pigmentation have been in existence for thousands of years. So they're saying the people that were previously not classified as white, they had the same skin color before the 1700s. They just weren't, they weren't being called white people. This was a new idea. Who created this idea and why is it reinforced? You ever notice why they always deduce every uh, situation in this country down to black or white? And they try to make it a so-called race thing when it's really a control thing. It's more about those in power staying in power. And they stay in power by raising up those of a lower class, still in a lower class, because they're still below the elites but they're higher than the class lower than them and this is how you create a buffer system to where you have people turning their back on injustices and turning their back on people they see being oppressed because their level of oppression is just a little bit lighter than the class under them so if they speak up well hey maybe we might get more oppressed if we align ourselves with the oppressed does that make sense? Let's continue on. This means that white people have been in existence for a very short period of time, while people whose skin reflects light skin pigmentation have been in existence for thousands of years. Long before the colonists arrived upon the shores of North America, people referred to a person as a color in relation to the appearance of her or his skin as in William Shakespeare's Othello. See, skin color was a description, right? It's like if someone has on a black hat, a black hoodie, but it wasn't someone's racial identity. That became a later construct. So in uh, William Shakespeare's Othello, right? It talks about Othello the Moor, who was uh, considered a blackamoor, 
his skin was of black complexion, but he was of Moorish descent. See, they, they hide this fact. Now, all through history, they have uh, museums. And even in New York City, they have a, a museum. It's like a warehouse museum in uh, Long Island City. And they have uh, hundreds of pieces of Moorish art. Moorish art. Now, if the Moors disappeared off the planet, and we're just talking about these Moors of Africa, if you look at the depictions of these uh, sculptures and paintings and figures and jewelry, they look just like the so-called Negro blacks in America that were misclassified and later called Negroes. They were Moors. So in this museum, they have like paintings for hundreds of thousands of dollars of these so-called black people so i'm like if we were slaves who the hell is buying all of this art that depicts our images why would you want to have a, a a painting of a slave in your house even if you're rich so-called white so what is it they know about your history that you forgot and it was crazy i, I went to one of these museums they have one uh in new york city on a uh park avenue but the actual warehouse is in Long Island City. So I go there and I just see like a few pieces. And he's like, you know, our major showroom with, you know, hundreds of Moorish art pieces. That's in Long Island City. But I was in the store and and there was a, a group of workers. There was some brothers, you know, so-called black brothers. You know, I would say Moorish brothers. They were working in the store and they just looked me up and down like, bro, like, you got the kind of money to shop in this store? Like, they were dropping shit off, and they like, yo, the insurance is like a million dollars to drop off, you know, the art pieces to this gallery. And lo and behold, I'm talking to the owner, and I end up talking to the owner for about 30 minutes. Because the owner didn't know that, you know, I didn't identify myself as Negro Blacks of Color, and I am of Moorish, of a Moorish bloodline. And I started to expound on some of the pieces in their store and the person was taken back like oh shit i didn't know anybody you know from your community knew about this history and i said yeah in fact you're like the only store within like a five or six state radius that has any of this art a lot of uh europeans have this hidden in their private collections in fact uh the queen of england she wore a, a moorish brooch so it was a moor's head basically a figure of a so-called African that was a Moor and it was cut off at the head and it was decorated with, with diamonds. And this piece was like worth almost a half a million dollars. She was wearing it as a brooch, like just jewelry accessories on her fucking shirt. But it had me to think like, wait a minute, why are they creating all this, uh, this, this elaborate art paying homage to these, these people that seem to disappear off the face of the earth. Now the Moors, uh, disappeared out of the timeline in history the same time slavery started. So put those pieces together. But throughout this uh, book report series, I'm going to present out of literature that's going to support my claims because I don't want to push an ideology on you. I don't want to. I just want us to, to continue to dig through the story because we all got pieces of, you know, we all got pieces of this puzzle that we could help each other put back together opposed to fighting about well if this part of history is true then this part can't be true when we, we're here to examine it all right because it's all in fragments goes on to say long before the colonists arrived on the shores of north america 
right? People refer to as a person as color in relation to the appearance of his or her skin, as in William Shakespeare's Othello. However, these descriptions were just that descriptive, much like a person can be said to have yellow or brown hair. Descriptive terminology creates a visual context, right? But it's not an identity. Such descriptions generally do not presuppose a human difference that is thought to constitute a distinct human order or unique race. Prior to the label white, people were referred by a number of possibilities, including national origin. See, they always uh, spoke of you in terms of the land you came from. See, if I don't call you in connection to your homeland, I'm kind of robbing you of your national identity, of your national origin. And that's what happened with many of our people. Because, for instance, if I say you're an African-American, well, there's 52 nations in Africa. Well, which nation did you come from? Because if you spoke to someone on the continent... Yeah, they'll speak with people in America politically like, you know, African, my African brother, but they all come from a nation. They're not going to say I'm an African. They're going to say my brother. I'm, I'm, I'm from the Cameroon, right? My, my brother, I'm, I'm from, uh, you know, uh, Ghana, you know, I'm Ghanaian, you know, I'm, I'm Nigerian. I'm from Nigeria. They're not going to say they're an African at large. So when we adopt that as an identity, we sound like we homeless. Right. Because none of those 52 nations have stood up to adopt you to say, hey, that's our long lost relative from this continent, from this uh, country of the continent, because Africa is such a vast land. So you can't speak in broad ears and just say I'm an African African because you got Europeans that live in South Africa and they're South Africans. <laughs> so everything denotes to national origin. You say you're an African. What part of Africa did you come from? And why don't you know? Why wasn't it recorded? When you'll find out some of the earliest census records, census records, they have no listing of Africans. In fact, this book itself speaks about the only 20 Africans. They recorded 20 Africans coming to the Americas in the 1600s. 20 Africans. So what does that mean? You weren't stolen from a land. They stole the land from you that you were already occupying. Because you are the indigenous people of all the lands. See, that was the trick that they had to pull. To make you seem like you came from one isolated part of the continent. That you could never get back to. You have no political standing with. You have no allies with. Isn't it crazy that none of the countries in Africa have stood up and in agreement with reparations for the people here in America because the story didn't happen the way they're pushing it off to us. And I encourage us to dig deeper into the story. So now it goes on to say prior to the label white, people were referred by a number of possibilities, including national origin, such as Spanish, British or Brazilian or by religion, such as Jew, Christian or Muslim. There were other possibilities as well, such as one's status as servant or free, owning class or servant class. See, 
this whole institution of slavery, it was just dealing with human labor. And they didn't care what color you were. They just wanted your labor for cheap or for free, right? So you had this stuff running concurrent. You had indentured servitude, and then you had this later form of slavery, which was lifetime servitude, where generationally, you know, I bought you as a slave, your children were my property, and they became the extension of my investment. But but this was also happening to a lot of the whites too, that didn't have an identity at the time. Someone created this system, this idea of white people to further pimp off this institution of slavery. But then it all laser focused in on one particular class of people. And that's the out of Africa story came from. And that's where the, you know, millions of people that have no allegiance to that side of the world or this side of the world. And that's where the idea of the nigger came from which was a person ignorant of its existence, ignorant of itself, ignorant of the system that created it. Goes on to say, there were other possibilities. However, whites or white people was not one of them. It should also be noted that white designating a group conceived of as united by race was an invention upon the invention. In other words, at the time white people were invented, they were not seen as a race. This occurred later and will be discussed in the next chapter. The label white, reflecting a group of humanity, appears nowhere in the law until 1681. Here we go, guys. So before 1681, nobody was considered a white person anywhere in history so when they talk about these great wars and all these famous so-called white people were fighting that's all cap they rewrote the story that's why it's called his story but what about your story our story so the labeling of white reflected reflecting a group of humanity appears nowhere in the law until 1681 it first appears in an, in an enactment passed by the Colonial Assembly of the Colony of Merlin. So in 1681, the Colony of Merlin, which would later be called the State of Merlin, was the first colony to en enact a, a so-called piece of legislation referring to the group of so-called white people. So these niggas was created. They created this idea. So in order to perpetuate this idea of superiority, they had to push propaganda to make another group seem inferior. Because you know you're not inferior. You have multiple talents. You have the multiple abilities to excel in spite of oppression, right? So you know our people are very strong people. But I say that to say this. Someone created this system of whiteness and they created systems that would support well what does it mean to be white you got to be better than someone that's black well what does that mean we're gonna make you a property owner we're gonna you know we're gonna we're gonna prop you up 
of, of the people under you. But remember, 1865, the Emancipation Proclamation, Lincoln said, free all such persons. And the Freedmen's Bureau was the first system of so-called welfare. But that was the system where they were supposed to give you your 40 acres and a mule. That never took place. In fact, this new white class that they created, they got your 40 acres and mule. They got the land grant, the land grab grants. They got the farming subsidies. All of this shit went to the poor whites. But you, you didn't think they were poor whites because they told you that these people aren't your people. Say it with me. IAB, it's all bullshit. Continuing on. It first appeared in the enactment passed by the Colonial Assembly of the Colony of Maryland. The question is why? Who were white people prior to the invention? What did it mean when they became white? Oh shit, when they became white. What was the problem that lawmakers sought to address through the imposition of this new category of humanity? This chapter will explore the initial appearance of this group of humanity called whites, addressing the motivations for the creation. Those who constitute this group and ideas that help give rise to the new category of humanity, we will look into why white was selected over other possibilities. Finally, we will examine constructive pieces that combine the combine to create the category and persuasive, i.e. efforts to make the category make sense. Efforts deployed in the creation of whites, these constructive and persuasive efforts will help us to identify institutional commitments. Chapter 2 will explore the legal and social of effort involved making the label stick. In this chapter, we will consider how the label was imposed, how it functioned to alter colonial society, and how and when it began to conceptualize as a race. See, first, it was an idea to deal with their human labor problem because what you're going to reveal, what we're going to uh, uncover is this concept, this invention of white people was created during this, institute, this institution of slavery because you had some poor whites that didn't have no land. They was working as indentured servitudes. They was working on the land trying to get a piece of land. See, this is the part of their history that they hide because if they told you they were a part of your story, then you would have to examine the timeline and say, wait a minute, I just knew in my spirit, my people wasn't just docile for 400 years and just did, you know, whatever they were told. Like, that didn't happen the way they told us. We know this shit. That's why when you watch them slave movies, you be uncomfortable. Like, nah, that, that, that wouldn't be me. Of course it wouldn't be you. Because a lot of that shit was fabricated. Now, we, we already debunked the, the, the story of Alex Haley's roots. Alex Haley died broke. He plagiarized the entire story. But that didn't stop CBS from buying the miniseries and spending $25 million to push that propaganda in our TVs. Right, because image is everything. See, it, it doesn't matter if the story's true or not, if it's told long enough, right? There's a saying, if you, you, you tell one lie, you tell it enough, 
becomes the truth. And, and, and this is what happened with this whole slavery thing. So a lot of our people, we just stay in our feelings and we get angry. And every year, you know, February, so-called Black History Month, and we, we're less and less uh, engaged with that holiday or that we don't even give a fuck, you know, because it's like, man, you keep deducing us back to y'all niggas were slaves and then y'all became these inventors and George Washington Carver and the peanut and, you know, they just deduce it to this shit with, with so small and minute when we're the centerpiece of American history itself. There would be no American history without our people. And this is what they're hiding. But if, if I tell you to just look at black history, you're going to look at a lot of this literature that's written by a lot of these oath-taking Masonic members of the bourgeoisie, of the book that purposely put out this so-called back to Africa rhetoric and all the books. Well, that shit sound good, but you notice that none of that stuff ever actually took place because it was to lead your mind in a state of suspended animation, always trying to get back to a place you never left from. You're indigenous to the entire planet, my people. So when I say that you're not an African, understand what I'm saying, right? Because a person in Africa is not an African politically. They're from a country in Africa. There's 52 nations in Africa. You can't say I'm an African African. What part of Africa did they take you from? And why you know? You don't know because they covered it up with this invention white people this is why the black and white story is going to always be connected to each other that's that checkerboard that's that chessboard that dark and that light that higher world and that lower world that truth and that falsehood continuing on guys the exploration of the human group called white within the law is instructive even if not all inclusive because law is the principal means by which a society defines and regulates itself uh, significantly law is a legitimizing institution giving preference to one version of events over others to one description among many to a specific policy or practice among others law does not produce meaning give authority or establish boundaries in a vacuum in a vacuum but rather within a large social context and dynamic interaction with prevailing social forces and pressures because history and law goes together you want to know why certain laws became laws you got to go back and look at the events in history and this is how we unravel the bullshit they've been trying to tell us for so many generations that you just know it doesn't sit right in your spirit. Because of these functions, law is an important arena through which to explore and understand social phenomena. This chapter re, uh, relives heavily, excuse me, this chapter relies heavily upon colonial North American enactments and the historical record of life among laborers preceding and following a significant expression of discontent called Bacon's Rebellion that we will discuss later in this chapter. Bacon's Rebellion represents a critical historical moment that gave rise to fear among the elite. 
This fear was ultimately alleviated through the invention of white people. Here we go, guys. So now, why was the concept, the construct of white people created? Remember what I said, history and law goes together. So this inception of this so-called white supremacy that we're all talking about still to this very day, it gets its inception from an event that took place in history called Bacon's Rebellion. Bacon's Rebellion. What's that about? You ever heard of Thomas, Sir Tom, uh, Sir Francis Bacon? Well, he had a cousin named Thomas Bacon. And he gave it up just like his family. They came of, of a rich family and they were in the slave trade and all this other stuff. But in this particular rebellion, something happened that they fear still to this very day. That's why they got to keep the concept of white going. That's why you, you in the street screaming, my life matters. And they show you that your life doesn't matter in contrast to the race that they created on paper. This is very key, guys. Bacon's Rebellion. So it goes on to say, because few people study social relations in early colonial North America, history beyond the Thanksgiving story, I have taken the liberty of painting a picture with a broad stroke. Most students are familiar with post-slavery relations between whites and persons of African descent. In fact, this understanding is so well entrenched that many have difficulty imagining anything else. For more, it is surprising to learn that from 1619 through the 1680s in Virginia and up to 1800s in other areas, interactions suggesting significant trust and mutuality between Europeans and Africans were not uncommon. So they're saying up to the 1800s, you had so-called poor white slaves, so-called black slaves that was on each other's plight because the institution of slavery was about human labor. And they didn't give a fuck what your skin color was until Bacon's rebellion happened, where the races that were being oppressed started to come together against the elite. Now, this is way before Nat Turner's rebellion. See, the system has a problem with people coming together to rebel against the people that are causing the oppression. But once they created this caste system, where they had different levels of status, whether you own property or you didn't own property, all this came into play and it all dealt with your status. It had nothing to do with your skin color. So later, the Jim Crow laws and all that shit after slavery, they treated us more inhumane after slavery. What am I talking about? Because the duration didn't last as long as they said, it wasn't 400 years. And Remember, the, you can't drink at this water fountain and you can't, all of that shit was prejudice that was pushed on us after you were so-called freed because they had to reinforce the benefits of being a part of this white community that they created. See what I'm saying? Because even in the 1930s, the Great Depression and all this 20s, these poor whites, they didn't get the promise from the elite that they were promised. They didn't get the, the land and not many of them, you know, got it, but many of them were still poor. So this is what happened. They had to further put the put the boot on our necks 
to make it seem like these so-called white people were doing just a little bit better. But as you had in the, in the 20s and the 30s, you had the, the Black Wall Street situation where the angry mobs of whites burnt down the town in 24 hours. Now that's pure hatred because they were still poor. And they said, how these niggas after slavery still doing better than us? So that envy never left them because they knew they were perpetrating this thing called white. But they knew at any time the elite could throw them back to a lower class. Henceforth, there's no such thing as a middle class anymore. There's the have-nots and there's the people that got everything. You know what I'm saying? It's no in-between. It's the illusion of the in-between. And everybody fighting to get into this so-called middle class thing when that shit don't exist. You got the haves and the have-nots. Man, this is powerful stuff here, man. Definitely hide something from us, put it in the book. There is rich documentation of friendly, co-conspiratorial, and loving relationships between those of European and African ancestry, some of which will be explored below. See, one commonality that humanity has, oppression is oppression. So you had multiple race groups throughout history that were oppressed. You got some that never forgot their oppression and they allied others that were being oppressed and they fought against it. Then you had others that were duped to say, well, as long as I ain't going through it, I can care less who is. Right? That, that turn the other cheek type of shit. Because even if you don't have a group of so-called whites that are out openly racist or, you know, treat you a certain way, they still benefit from this concept of white. They didn't denounce that shit. They didn't say, hey, we benefit from all this. The banks that we frequent, their money came from the institution of slavery. None of these banks paid reparations, like these banks that paid reparations to the Jews. See, they don't want to get into that conversation because we start to unravel the hypocrisy. We haven't even got an apology from this country. But all of the, the, the stuff in history is documented. But until we as a people start to have the real conversation and say, hey, what happened to all that money? Not the money that was promised, the money that was already allocated. This money was already set aside. <laughs> so, so that national debt is really the debt they owe our people. Catch up. Students struggle to grasp the time period in colonial North America before slavery became entrenched. This is so in part because there is little understanding of the conditions of poor British and Europeans who constituted the vast majority of the population. And because there is a strong tendency to interrupt the past, to interpret the past through powerful ideological frameworks within the present. See, they wrote a lot of later history books that muddied the waters of the actual story so when they taught us this shit in school we only saw slavery through one lens and we never could see the story like well were there, were there so called black people that owned acres of land that had slaves sure there were <laughs> we're gonna go into a book later in the book review series that highlights that there was a brother that had hundreds of acres of land and had dozens of slaves black and white <laughs> this institution of slavery was all about a bag they, they didn't care what your skin color was. That came later when they started to amass profits and then they started to style on their own people. They promised land to their people that they didn't get. 
And the, the so-called elite started slicing up the land. And then once things got scarce and dire, that's when this class system came into play. In any effort to help, uh, excuse me, in an effort to help capture this moment in early colonial North American history, I will focus on the colony of Virginia. Virginia is significant because it was central to the invention of white people. It was an early colony with English settlers arriving first in 1585. 1585. So keep in mind, if they said this so-called black slavery started in 1619, who were these white settlers that showed up in 1585? And what type of slaves did they have? They had slaves that looked just like them. See what they're hiding? They're hiding their history. They became white. The English settlers arriving first in 1585, then again in 1607. Now, there was a colony, um, Virginia, the first colony before the Jamestown and all that was established. It was something called Roanoke, right? Now, there's still a town called Roanoke, right? Now, Roanoke was the first colony that had all so-called white settlers and so-called white indentured servants. White slaves and white slave masters, right? They all were working this particular colony. And in less than a year, the entire colony died off. These white people couldn't work the land. Couldn't, couldn't grow crops, couldn't do shit. Like they, they, they didn't have that spiritual alchemy to, to commune with nature to sustain their life force. So they died off in this first uh, colonial experiment. They don't tell you this in a lot of the history books, but it's there. In fact, they put this shit in several movies. Blew me away because I read about it and then to see it and I'm like, man, it's going to go over some people's heads that never heard of this uh, first colony of poor whites and they all died off. While the colony of Maryland was not planted until 1633, Virginia was the site of Bacon's Rebellion in 1670 which was followed by dramatic changes in law that created a new, much lower, bottom to the societal, excuse me, bottom to the social hierarchy and assigned this location to those of African descent. See, they perpetrated this, if you people were from Africa, the same time they created all of you people are so-called white. See what's going on? Because if they made themselves the new settlers of the land, they become the landowner. And they made you the tenant, which this was your originally your land. They made you the tenant like, yo, you should be happy because we brought you from Africa and you was just walking around naked and shit. Poor doing nothing when, when, when none of that is true. But this is what they perpetrated in the movies and even in the so-called history books. Let's continue on. This is a powerful book, guys. I encourage everybody to add this book to your library. Birth of a White Nation. The Invention of White People and Its Relevance Today. Jacqueline Bartolora. Powerful book. Let's continue on. Colonial Virginia before the institution of black slavery. The Virginia colony was pursued in 1585 with lofty goals. Englishmen 
Walter Riley and Richard uh, Hatblue convinced Queen Elizabeth to support the establishment of the colony to serve as a hub for attacks on Spanish settlements and advance the riches of the crown by decreasing those of Spain. Now keep in mind, when they're talking about in history that they was cutting up Spanish settlements, right? And they trying to increase the crown and they were fighting these, these other nations. When they refer to people saying Spanish, they were talking about the Moors. See, before it was called Spain, it was called Al-Andalus, and it was ruled by the Moors for 800 years. So-called black people, right? For those that don't understand the term Moor, right? So now, in history, when they speak of it retrospect, they would say, well, they were fighting the Spanish, and you think they was fighting some people that speak Spanish when we spoke multiple dialects. <laughs> in fact, we spoke a language called Moorish Latin. That's why all of the oldest law books, they're all written in Latin, but nobody speaks Latin today. I wonder why? Because the lawgivers were the Moors, the Bays, the Bays and the Days, and the Isles and the Now, to understand that they had to hide this identity of the people that ran the world before it became the new world. And then they created a new identity for themselves in this new world but then made you a forever slave in the old world, cutting you off from your vast, rich history. Goes on to say, the colony was to serve as an employer for England's growing number of unemployed and create new markets for her goods among the native tribes and settlers as well as bring the natives into the fold of Christianity and the British government. By 1590, the settlement was found deserted without a record of what happened to the English settlers. See, this first idea of these colonies, that shit died out because they had inferior, they had an inferior labor class. So you had a lot of them trying to rich off each other and it, it just didn't work out because their business practices sucked. But to understand that this idea of slavery, it was just about human labor, right? And it wasn't, you know, because the first inception of slavery were the Slavs, the Slavics, right? The Slavs. Well, that's where the term slave comes from. So we, in, in turn, enslaved these people before they were called white. And then later they became this race of white people. And then this idea of chattel slavery aboard but we're talking about this very first idea of human labor of all races that was taking place in this so-called human or American experiment because America was an experiment the next uh, effort to colonize Virginia began with 105 settlers in 1607 as a corporate endeavor intended to increase the investments of shareholders of the Virginia Company of London. See, it wasn't just this angry group of people running around just kidnapping people and then you're in slavery. They had something called the Virginia Company where they had stockholders, right? This shit was a company and these companies were producing products, tobacco, cotton, etc. Whatever you had, you know, your laborers working towards, that was your profits. So these companies were, in fact, the first stock-owned companies. 
that had shareholders and shit like that. This this is what was taking place. So the Virginia Company of London, that's who ran the so-called Virginia Colony. The governor of the colony recruited vigorously. By 1624, over 4,000 British settlers had come to the colony, but less than 1,000 survived. In 1619, just over 20 people from Africa were recorded in the colony. So, in this first inception of slavery, the institution of slavery in America, the very first colony, they only have documents recorded in history. 20 Africans from Africa. See, later, our people were classified as people from Africa, i.e. slaves, on the census records. All of this shit happened with the stroke of a pen. They didn't move you from no land. They moved your consciousness. This is disturbing here, man. But it's, but, but it's revealing. It's an eye-opener. And, and, and we have to really start to look at this with our facts over the feelings. The death rate was shocking. And the king dissolved the company and placed it under control of the crown. The demand for laborers continued despite the low survival rate. In part because tobacco was being grown and shipped to England. Tobacco farming required significant human labor and so fueled the demand for farm workers. Tobacco held the hope of riches for many. See, they need to get that, that tobacco sold. But if you look at the Virginia Tobacco Company, they had a logo in the 1600s and it was a person of very dark complexion and they called him a moor. They called him a moor on the advertisement for the tobacco but the moor had feathers in his head so he was a moor or an indian see all of these identities were our people they just kept mixing it up you had two classifications you had the american indian which were classified as negro blacks and colors and their land was confiscated and then you had the native americans these were the later tribes that you see that you call these indians that own these reservations today the Mongolian mixed tribes. They're not the original inhabitants of the land. They perpetrated the fraud to say, yeah, we the first people. So then you would think there were no other people on this land and you came from somewhere else. They had something called the $5 Indian where so-called whites, remember, they became white so they could become anything else too. These so-called whites, once they started to give uh, treaty uh, endowments and land grants and you know reservations to these new tribes that were calling themselves american you could pay a five dollar premium right look it up it's something called a five dollar indian you could pay a five dollar premium and get added onto one of those tribes listed as your family being a so-called indian see this is why they they showed us a lot of the hollywood movies that was played by so-called white actors and they were dressed up looking like indians because the pictures were a thousand words all of this shit was an experiment of the psyche and they had to get you to believe the lie to become the lie. Between 1607 and 1682, roughly 92,000 immigrants from Europe were brought 
mostly to the Virginia colony, but also to Maryland. And more than three quarters of these immigrants, or more than 69,000, were chattel bond laborers. So they don't tell you about these white people in history that they call settlers. Settlers is just code word for white slaves that came on a ship that ain't had no money. You know what I'm saying? Had to work the land. See, that's the hustle. See, when we hear about this shit in history class and they show you the movie, you think settlers is niggas coming over here with the bag and they coming to set up shop. Uh-uh. They was coming over here as workers, my dude. They was coming over here as workers. So they hide their history because if they told you their background really started in slavery, that's why they keep trying to remind you that shit started in slavery. That's how they hide your true identity of this greatness that you were before this time period. Interesting stuff. Most were men and most were English. In Virginia, until approximately 1640, there were seven males, 20 years of age or older for every woman. The sex ratio improved significantly by the 1700s, but remained high because of the large numbers of indentured servants from Europe imported into the colony, most of whom were males. The sex ratio in Virginia is thought to be similar to that of Maryland, where few women were among the first colonies, and a sex imbalance remained until the Civil War. This way you got a lot of that funny alphabet community stuff going on, because a lot of the white settlers didn't have women. In fact, in this country in America, a lot of the, the older movies in Hollywood, the male actors played women. They wouldn't let women in, into Hollywood movies. Make that make sense. <laughs> make that make sense. Put a, Getting to the colony was one thing. Surviving there was another. The colony grew from 1,300 settlers in 1625 to about 2,600 by 1629, 8,000 by 1640, then 4,000 by 1653, and 25,000 by 1660. It is estimated that there were only about 500 persons of African descent in the colony of Africa in 1650. Wait a minute. So where are these millions of Africans that they stealing from Africa? The same time they bring in white slaves from Europe here to work the land. They lied to us, family. 500 Africans in the colony. We're, we're 600 million people they said died at the Middle Passage and all that. That was to pull on your heartstrings. Now, I'm not taking away that our ancestors didn't, many of them didn't die during this ordeal, but I'm telling you that they capping. You already here on the land. They enslaved you on the land that belonged to your ancestors. And if they told you that, they, they got to give you a whole lot more than 40 acres in a mule. They owe you 40 with interest. 40 with interest. That's why they'll never have this conversation about reparations. Because all of this stuff is going to open up. And you're going to have those angry so-called whites to say, Hey, but you said we would be treated better than these people. So they always have to show that your day-to-day -day life is, is more shittier than everyone else's, right? Because a so-called white person safe in their community when they know they don't have to be at a Black Lives Matter protest because that shit will never happen to them. You know what I'm saying? They're not going to be at a traffic stop where the cop shoots them because they're reaching for their cell phone. That'll never happen to them. 
that's what their status affords them the status not the skin color it's just by saying let me stay out the way let me not align myself with their issues because even when you seen all these so-called whites at the protests you know in 2020 and all that shit and they had the george floyd signs and all that many people don't know that the black lives matter organization they were paying people to come to the protests there were protesters there and you like yo they with us they, they they fill our story when these white people was making 25 dollars an hour to be at a black lives matter protest oh you didn't know that right see image is worth a thousand words continuing on guys the english labor laborers came to the colony in one of several statuses tenant bond servant or apprentice see what's going on you might have came with a one-way ticket dirt poor from england and you came as a tenant a bond servant which is all denoting to a slave that later became the term or you were an apprentice right somebody bought your freedom over here and you studied under someone and you learned to trade and then you worked it off and then you eventually got yourself a plot of land that was the original system that they was trying to push the tenants were under the supervision of a company agent and entitled to one half of the returns earned see they don't tell you that that the tenants they had something called like a freedom dues or or or, or servant dues where basically they were getting paid a fraction of the time they were working this would go into uh, an account that after you know maybe seven years of servitude or whatever that you you know whatever your contract stipulated you will be awarded a plot of land and this money you know and money and you know uh resources you know you might get paid in cotton tobacco stuff like that tenants were under the supervision of a company right the virginia company all these companies were bonding companies right this was the first stock market and entitled to one half of the returns earned bond servants belonged to their masters right you were bonded the master supplied the servant with food clothing and shelter during the years of service and the master got everything earned by the servant apprentices were bound as servants for seven years right uh what was it uh seven years a slave the, the, the movie that came out seven years a slave that was talking about the two types of slavery the chattel slavery and indentured servitude where you are under contract and many of the so-called black people were under contract see like even after slavery right a lot of our people right you, you ever heard of them being sharecroppers where they were work the land even after slavery and they would get paid after slavery but a lot of them didn't tell you that many of them were hustled out of their land and they became sharecroppers of their own property many of these poor whites created fake uh quick claim deeds and they would steal the land from our people this happened in this country in fact uh thomas jepson was classified as a squatter <laughs> he was classified as a squatter look up what a squatter is you know how somebody created a quick claim deed changed the locks and they'd say your property's theirs so the first squatters were so-called white people always showing up and stealing shit <laughs> but 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 it's american history or our history apprentices were bound 
as servants for seven years and then another seven years as a tenant to the planter who paid 10 pounds for the laborer. Historian Edmund S. Morgan noted that it is likely that the majority of the men who were sent as tenants, but the abuses of laborers and the addition of terms of years by masters were not uncommon. So keep in mind, they always reneged on their contracts. So these so-called whites would contract so-called whites. Hey, you're going to be my servant for seven years. And then they would add stipulations to add on another seven years. And then you would look up and you would be a 12-year slave or a 12-year servant. And your contract will keep being getting extended. Kind of like how they keep extending the rap contracts in the entertainment industry. Right? Nothing's changed. Right? They, they perfected the model way back then. But this is how they would do this. And they would perpetrate this on our people as well. And that's how the system of chattel slavery came about. Because, for instance, let's say a so-called black person, all right, you were an indentured servant or, you know, you were an apprentice and you studied under a blacksmith and you worked for maybe seven years, 10 years. And in that time, you met a sister and you had a child. So they found a way to work your child into the contract that wasn't previously written in the contract. So they started to create fraudulent contracts. And this is how they started to perpetrate the fact that, well, your child, technically, you had the child while you still under contract with me, so the child's my property. And then they perpetrated that same servitude or that debt on your child. And they just kept rolling the debt over so they could generationally lock in a race of people. This was created as they went. Because the more they had their white people discontent with the terms of their contract, and they wanted to ally, ally with the so-called blacks that had shitty contracts too is the terms for the whites they had to create the term white interesting stuff guys uh yeah so the princes were bound for 10 years right and in fact the treatment of servants in virginia by their masters shocked other englishmen Large numbers of Europeans were regularly brought and sold. Listen to this part. Large numbers of Europeans were regularly brought and sold like horses in Virginia. Most Europeans came to Virginia with only varying degrees of future promises. Of, to put it in another way, most people arrived in Virginia being unfree to some degree. Unfree to some degree with large numbers of laborers were working to their death in Virginia, some officers in the colony were getting rich. The beginnings of this colony reveal a private enterprise operating with few checks and balances, advancing the fortunes of a few and the death of many. So they started to renege on a lot of them contracts and the elite started to move up in the, the elite class. They started to have the bag. But in order for them to have the bag, they had to renege on these contracts with even their own people. And they started to enslave their own people. It is important to remember that at this time, the vast majority of laborers in Virginia were English. So during this first pocket's of time in slavery when this timeline where they said they were stealing all these people from Africa all they had was white slaves all they had was white slaves see what's going on 
but they weren't classified as white. Not until after Bacon's Rebellion. We gotta find out what the hell happened at Rebellion. Morgan remarks on this period of Virginia colony, starting stating that a servant by going to Virginia became for a number of years a thing, a commodity with a price. And he concluded that we may also see Virginians beginning to move toward a system of labor that treated men as things. According to Theodore Allen, landowners accumulating wealth from tobacco in the 1620s, Virginia transformed European tenants and wage laborers into chattel bond servitude. European servitude in the tobacco fields of Virginia claims Morgan came closer to slavery than anything the British had ever seen. The status of the first African colonists in Virginia is undetermined. What is certain is that within the decades before 1680, some Africans were free or became so. Africans worked for masters alongside British laborers. There is plenty of ethnographical ethnographic material revealing that at least some persons of African descent were not treated as degraded beings and behaved in manners consistent with Englishmen of a similar class. See, a lot of our people had the bag. This is what they hiding from. That person of African descent were treated in a desperate manner by some Europeans at some moments in time cannot be disputed. And evidence of such will be discussed later in this chapter. However, the entire body of available documents weighs much heavier with evidence of Europeans and Africans interacting in ways that suggest cooperation and a degree of mutuality. Records that help to paint a picture of the status of Africans prior to 1680 are scarce. See, they have no records of the our treatment in slavery and none of this so they could embellish and show you all this harsh shit in the place. not to say that crazy stuff wasn't taking place but it wasn't taking place as frequent and it wasn't taking place all over the land like they tell you they didn't have this superiority they was enslaving their own people trying to figure this thing out but they always trying to make money off of human labor regardless Instead, the evidence shows that many African men, hold on, skip the line, uh, yeah, I gotta, gotta add this, records that paint a picture of the status of Africans prior to 1680 are scarce. Those that have been retrieved reveal that apathy directed at persons of African descent did not define the social landscape. If, as some historians have argued, English people had a natural a pit, uh, apathy towards persons of dark skin. You would not expect British or other Europeans to treat persons of African descent as equals or as desirable other than as labor. Furthermore, if persons of African descent were accustomed to being treated in a degrading manner by Europeans, then you would expect a fearful and possibly subservient posture as a result of accumulated insult and injury. Neither is the case with any consistency. So all of that racism that they treated us 
after slavery, the Jim Crow shit and all of that, that shit wasn't happening at the beginning of these colonies. See, that stuff came later when they embedded this idea in this class that they created called white people that they were better than you. That was a construct. Instead, the evidence shows that many African men married European servants, European servants. And these marriage marriages appear to have been accepted because there were five to seven times more men than women in the colony. A woman could likely have her... In one case, an African servant sued successfully for her freedom and married the European lawyer who represented her in court. If such a marriage were viewed by local Virginians as an effort to the British, then you would expect to find the lawyer shunned or otherwise harmed. But the marriage did not seem to diminish the lawyer's social position. Historian Philip Morgan provides detailed descriptions of relationships between persons of European and African descent during the colonial period in North America. For example, the European widow of an African planter next married a European farmer without issue. Again, if there was a stigmatization attached to a European woman having married an African man, then we would expect the widow to be rejected by European men as a potential spouse. This does not appear to be the case. Another piece of material reveals that a European female servant told her European master that she would rather marry an African slave or a nearby plantation than marry him, despite his wealth. This is exactly what she did. <laughs> Crazy, huh? She said, I'd, I'd rather marry a brother with nothing than to marry your rich corny ass. <laughs> Boris. Women outlived men and widows regularly remarried, bringing land and animals to their marriages. Records from one country show that in the 1660s, one-fourth of all children born to European female servants were of joint African and European ancestry. See, a lot of them are mixed. See, that mulatto class that they created, they used to list people as mulattoes on the census records. Then many of these uh, mixed races started to just perpetrate off as, oh, I'm white. And they started to sign on the census records that they were white. But many of them are mixed. They had something called the one drop rule. That if you had one drop of Negro blood in your lineage, you were a Negro. So many of these so-called whites, they would actually use that to their advantage. So they would mate with us to further their progeny, to further their lineage. Because they were dying off. And as of, as of now, shit in the 2020s, the so-called white population is at a zero birth rate for the past 10 years. And we're talking about a, an, an explosion of, you know, so-called white babies being born. That's not happening. But you are seeing them mix. And many of them are having babies with brothers and all this. Other. This is to, to further or to stop the extinction of their race so-called race because it was a created idea no one has white skin right and this and we're just trying to uncover the, the the realness of this conversation that black and white are legal statuses 
So when I refer to you as black, I'm not talking about black skin because your skin isn't black. My beard is black, my locks is black, my hoodie's black. But my skin's more of a copper hue. But we're not talking about skin denoting to identity. Because skin can be a descriptive, right? It's persons of a dark complexion, a brown complexion. But that's not your national origin. That's not your identity. And someone perpetrated that to be your identity, and we stuck into this black and white conversation still to this day. And these people know they're not white. <laughs> they know it. That's why it says white slash Caucasian. So then who's Caucasian? And what are they referring to? Also referring to their historical background. Caucasian. Meaning these Europeans that lived in the hills of the Caucasus Mountains. And they were put into these caves by the Moors during the, bar the Barbary slave trades. Where millions of these white people on ships were becoming slaves. See, it's, a, it's in multiple books. If you take the glasses off of this, I'm a victim of slavery type of thing. Once you start to look at this stuff for real, you start to see, oh shit. That's why they keep pushing this on our people. Because they never got over their shit. Interesting stuff. Goes on to say, Edmund uh, Morgan references numerous wills wherein masters set up conditions whereby Negro slaves would become free or could purchase their freedom. And the terms indicated an, exp an, ex uh, an expectation that they would become regular members of a free community. Furthermore, both European and African men working for the same master slept, ate, and labored together. Court records of this period reveal that Europeans and Africans joined together in escapes and criminal endeavors. You don't say. <laughs> so you had so-called black slaves and so-called white slaves running away from the plantation. See, in a human concept, down to your soldier level, oppression is oppression. And no one likes to be oppressed. See, this is before they created this caste system to where we're going to impress you or oppress you less than the other people. So you could just mind your business. But at the root of this, a human doesn't want to be oppressed. Right? So you had these races coming together to say, fuck it. Let's, you know what I'm saying? Let's, let's get over on the master. Let's tear this shit down. So they couldn't have the combining of the undesirables, right? They couldn't have the combining of the laborers. But how many times do you see that happening right now where unions go on strike? It's the same thing. You got people of different races that all belong to the union that's standing up because they're being mistreated. It's the same concept. And that's why all of these corporate companies, they shun unions in fact they created the union for uh amazon and they fired the people that <laughs> created the union fired them niggas like first the story broke and they said oh man these people are advocates they're going to create unions for all of the companies and all the states for amazon and so-called black brother that led the charge in new york city they fired his ass right after they got the union for, for new york city and then they still pushed back and try to put out the fires because they don't want the union. They don't want the people to combine to come together to see that they're all being played, regardless of what your race is. 
Because capitalism is capitalism. And these companies, the same way that they had stockholders and stuff today, they had stockholders for these slave companies. Same shit. And they didn't want their profit margin to be fucked with. We can't have people rising up talking about how we getting over. So we got to put a stop to it. And this is what happened after Bacon's Rebellion. They created the concept of you're a white person. So if I'm a white person, what does that mean? They're a black person. Henceforth, one's inferior to the other. But it's all an artificial construct. It's not real. It's just something that we enforced due to our ignorance. Dang. Such joint ventures suggest trust and cooperation. Qualities of a relationship that stand in opposition to animosity on the basis of color. There is ample evidence from court records that Europeans and Africans of the same class behavior behaved sim similarly and were treated so by courts. Until 1662, both persons of African and European ancestry appeared to have been treated similarly for sexual violations. Each stood in church with the customary white sheet and white wand to uh, do penance for fornication or for having committed adultery. There is still more evidence of trust and cooperation between Europeans and Roll's study of defendants of African descent in the criminal courts of Philadelphia in the late 18th century revealed that both Europeans and Africans of the lower classes accepted each other as evident by shared ventures that required trust and cooperation. This was not the case However, among the more economically privileged Europeans. See, the more they started to give the Europeans a bag, the more they started to look down upon people that didn't have the bag. And they didn't care what your skin color was. You wasn't a property owner. You were beneath me. And this was their ideology that they were pushing. So all of these whites, they was trying to do whatever to become a property owner. So I could move up in the class. But they still knew that this oppression was being, was taking place because they knew of their own oppression. Man, this stuff is powerful. I'm going to put a pen in it there. And I'm just going to add one more part to this, guys. This is a powerful book. You've got to pick this book up. You've got to pick this book up. So now let's get to it. I'll leave you guys with the most powerful part. So history and law goes together. So before this event that happened in history, no one on the planet was called white people. Nobody was referred to as the white race before this event took place. Bacon's Rebellion. Bacon's Rebellion occurred at a time when the survival rate had significantly improved and the numbers of tenants and servants who completed their terms, not to mention survived, was growing. While survival and completion of terms of indentured were positive outcomes for laborers, they pose problems for those who govern. So keep in mind, they're saying at the time of this rebellion, a lot of the so-called indentured servants, white or black, the terms or, or, or the time period of their contracts were coming to an end, which means, okay, so somebody got to give me my end of the deal, right? Because if I did the labor for X amount of years, the contract says I will be compensated the following. So many of these people, black or white, 
They didn't get their land. They didn't get the money that they were promised because this elite was amassing so much profit. They like, yo, why we got to share? Keep these niggas as workers a little bit longer and we can amass more profits. So this became the, the, the starting board for these rebellions at early colonies. Continue on to say, while surviving and completion of terms of indenture were positive outcomes for laborers, they posed problems for those who governed. Those changes meant more uh, competition for large landholders as free tenants sought their own fortunes in tobacco, adding to the supply and depressing the price. See, they didn't want more competition. They just gave you the illusion that you would become a landowner for pledging your labor for, for damn near a decade. They didn't want you to actually set up shop next door to them. No, we can't have that. These free men, most of whom were bachelors, presented a growing threat to British authorities in Virginia. They responded to this threat of, by extending years of servitude and increasing the term of service required as a penalty for such violations as running away. So this is where they started to lock a lot of our people into chattel slavery. If I locked you in your contract and I said, I'm gonna give you uh, 10 acres of land and X amount of money after you know your, your contract is done. And then I reneged. I didn't give you anything that I told you you would be compensated. And then you ran away. So then I would catch you and then add more years onto the contract that was supposed to be done. See what's going on? Service required as a penalty for such violations as running away, giving birth to a child, or killing a hog. In 1670, a law was enacted that stripped these men of their ability to vote so that only landowners and keepers of homes could vote in elections. See, this is where all the prejudice and shit started. This is where this institution of so-called white slavery, because it's an institution. Even still today, the black vote doesn't mean anything. That's why you had the three compromise where it took five nigger votes to actually constitute as three white votes. This was the, 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 the idea in this country. We can't sweep this shit under the rug because this idea still influences policy today. Man, this shit is easy, B. As the numbers of free tenants and servants grew in the 1640s and 1650s, fewer and fewer could expect to hold public office or to find workable land that was not already claimed. Indentured servants faced harsh conditions, while freed ones faced narrowing opportunities for financial independence. Failing tobacco prices, uh, combined with taxation from the crown and the reflective exclusion of most colonists from participating in the fur trade. See, they basically monopolized on all the industries. So all of these people became entrepreneurs and shit after working they, they, they contract. They didn't have nowhere to set up shop. All worked to increase the resentment of the indentured and freed. Other conditions have changed as well, recalling that Virginia's economic uh, Virginia's economy was deeply invested in tobacco and that the farming of tobacco required tremendous human effort. The desire 
for laborers failed to decline, recalling also that the vast majority of laborers who arrived in Virginia every year were Englishmen. Change in these labor supply would have a noticeable impact upon the colony. By mid-century, the poor and the homeless who were sent from England slowly, significantly leaving, slowed significantly, leaving a gap in the labor supply. British landowners in Virginia had to look elsewhere. And in the decades that followed, the numbers of laborers from Africa began to increase significantly. See, this is when they started to kidnap the original inhabitants of the land and started to pimp them off as I took these niggas from Africa. See, this is where that story came in because remember, you already owe these people land on top of owing them more land. So you got to say that these people are foreigners when you were originally the foreigner. The number of discontented Virginians were many. Servants of African and European descent faced harsher treatment, while those freed from servitude confronted conditions that rendered their freedom from servitude much less than their success, more and more tenuous. In 1676, these discontented people erupted in the colony of Virginia with laborers of European and African descent, bond and free, uniting in the fight against unpaid labor, the plantation elite, and those governing the colony. So you had the black and so-called white indentured servants raising up against the system. They said they trying to play us all. Fuck that. These people unionized. So they were the first slave union, so to speak. They couldn't have that because then it would blow back the covers on all of the elite amassing these huge profits and never intending to keep their word. Kind of like they never intended to keep our word, keep their word to us with that 40 acres and a mule shit. It's all connected. Interesting, man. Let's continue. European and African descent, bond and free, uniting in the fight against unpaid labor, the plantation elite and those governing the colony in an effort to realize greater opportunity and independence. Bacon's rebellion was complicated and nuanced. Here, I provide only a brief overview. There was a first phase that focused upon attacking native tribes and a second phase that was a direct challenge to the British who ruled the colony. The rebels expressed disdain for the way they ruled and grew their wealth. The rebellion is named after the man who led it, Nathaniel Bacon, right, who, who is a cousin to Sir Francis Bacon. He and a number of his neighbors held contempt for native tribal members, who they blamed for the death of numerous servants. Those neighbors were unimpressed by the response of the government to these incidents and were increasingly Per, uh, perturbed by the cost of the government that they supported through taxes. Bacon himself, so they, they overtaxed the laborers that they promised to give money to for their labor, but they just kept taxing them. Sounds familiar in this country? Well, everybody just seems to be working hella overtime hours and they just keep taking more and more of your money. Bacon himself was a member of the governing council 
and tried without success to get a commission from Governor Berkeley to attack Native tribes. Bacon proceeded without it, and on May 10th, 1676, the governor denounced Bacon and removed him from the council. Bacon proceeded to lead a crusade against all Native tribes, friendly and hostile, those with whom the Virginia colony had agreements and those with whom it did not. Bacon was decreed by a rebel, was decreed a rebel by government, by Governor Berkeley, while Bacon issued a declaration of the people that sought to ruin all native tribes, including all trade with them. In addition, he began allocating and advocating for a redistribution of some of the ill-gotten wealth in the colony. According to Morgan, in a society where success had always depended on exploitation, exploitation that fell short of plunder, it was an appealing formula to men of every class. Within an environment of tremendous discontent among poorly treated laborers from Africa and Europe and more constraints, the fewer opportunities for the growing numbers of freed servants, it was not hard to rally supporters. For Bacon's cause. While Bacon continued to attack native tribes, other rebel groups plundered the estates of the governor, the government loyalists. In late October, Bacon died. Soon thereafter, armed ships from England arrived and the rebellious tide died out, but not without having made an impact. Bacon's rebellion represents the unification of laborers of African and European descent freed from freed servants and small landowners the threat of a united labor force to the capitalist plantation system was clear the response by the governing elite was a buy and conquer approach buy and conquer approach they separated laborers by creating one group with the authority to rule over the oppressed and the oppressed of the other. Henceforth, white people and black people. That was the creation of the two constructs. They didn't emphasize you being black before this rebellion. They didn't emphasize them being white before this rebellion. But they identified that the collective oppressed can take over shit, and we can't have that. We have to implement the divide and conquer approach. Historian Gary Nash is in describing the process of imposing slavery upon persons of African descent provides a second review of a succession view of the legal response that followed Bacon's rebellion. In rapid succession, Afro-Americans lost their right to testify before court. See, this is when they started to create the laws that took stuff away from our people to make us an inferior class. Not that we were inferior, they perpetuated this inferiority by giving more to the people that they classified as these new white people. Overstand? In rapid succession, Afro-Americans lost their right to testify before court to engage in any kind of commercial activity, either as a buyer or seller to hold property, to participate in the political process, to congregate in public places with more than two or three of their followers, of their followers, to travel without permission, 
and to engage in large in a legal marriage or parenthood. See, this is when they started to create all these laws that would disenfranchise us. This is why we keep saying, oh, the system, the system is against us. When we talk about the institution of racism, this is the institution we're talking about. This is why it was created, and this is how it functions. And it still functions today. So I'll leave you with this one here. Why white? In the aftermath of Bacon's rebellion, Virginia land-owning elite pushed for legislation that set British and other whites apart from those of native tribes, mulattoes, and those of African descent. These laws emerged in Virginia from 1619, 1691 through the first quarter of the 18th century. The inclusion of the anti-missegregation uh, law among the list of benefits of privilege afforded to whites by law suggests that the law was less a control mechanism to restrict whites than a benefit to advance interests. This claim would be an advanced in the next chapter. It was not within an enactment from the Virginia colony where Bacon's rebellion raged that white people referencing a group of humanity first appears, but rather an enactment from the colony of Maryland, recalling that Maryland's anti-miscegrenation law of 1664 had the effort, had the effect of encouraging the very marriages the law explicitly claimed to prevent. Maryland legislators sought to address the conflict in 1681. The law included financial disincentives to masters who encouraged or assist such marriages and imposed fines upon the priest, minister, or magistrate who performed the marriage. See, this is when that concept of marriage became a contract with the state and, and your child became a ward of the state and the, the, the magistrate gets to argue over who gets what property and all. That's when all that shit came into play. And all of these systems became opposition to one particular race of people, our people. So this is where this idea of the system and the man and all this, this stuff that we think that's illusionary and they just say, brother, you on your soapbox. This is why these institutions of slavery or this institution of supremacy of a white race, this is where this stuff is rooted. This is why it was created. This is why it's still perpetrated today. Because all these corporations, the capitalism, they got to keep niggas in line. And only way they keep you in line, they just be a little bit easier on the so-called whites. So they can be okay with you being oppressed. And at large, they can still be participants in their own oppression. Powerful stuff, man. You want to hide something from the people, you definitely put it in a book. This is the book report. I am your host, JF Bay. This is the Third Eye High podcast. We deal with a higher consciousness of a flyer culture. I'm just here to shine my light your way to help you find your light switch and keep your light lit. Salute to everybody tuning in. And until next time on the book report, you want to support the podcast, you spent your most valuable currency, you paid attention, right? I spent my sweat equity, you spent your, your equity by paying attention. That's an equal exchange of currency. I give thanks. You can podcast you can subscribe to the podcast that's a form of donation if you want to send a monetary donation 
We don't have any corporate sponsorships. This is all me funded. You know what I'm saying? You can send a monetary donation to my Cash App. Cash App dollar sign far outflow. F-A-R-O-U-T F-L-O-W. Dollar sign far outflow is the Cash App. But as I said, you already spent your currency. You paid attention. So I give thanks. Either way. Until next time, this is the Third Eye High Podcast. I am your host, JF Bay. And always remember to keep your third eye high. Give thanks for everyone tuning in. Shouts out to everyone tuning in. And do me a favor. If you're on this platform and you're listening to me for the first time, go to the podcast and subscribe. Third Eye High. 3RD, the letter I, the word high. H-I-G-H. Third Eye High. On all podcast streaming platforms. And until next time, peace, love, and more light.